I could have got done last week. So we might have extra time if you want to ask anything. Or <coughs> uh, John chapter twelve is going to be the end of the first half of the book of John, and it's kind of split into two halves. Where the first twelve chapters are Jesus's teaching ministry, his going around healing, uh, teaching, you know, doing all those things, and. Uh, at the end of John chapter 12 is when he stops his public ministry and he doesn't say anything else uh, as far as preaching to the public. They, they, get, they get no more opportunities to hear him preach. I mean, the gospel is still the gospel. They can believe on him if they want to. But the last half of the book of John, chapter 13 through, you know, all the way through the crucifixion is Jesus talking with his disciples. You know, it's just in private at the, you know, the meal, the final meal, the garden, the, you know, all those hours that are leading up to the crucifixion. So, the really what you're going to hear right here at the end of chapter 12 is Jesus' final words to the people. And there's something about, you know, the last words, if you've ever been around... When somebody died, you know, and they, you know, they're laying in the hospital bed or whatever, and you know, they, uh, their last words, the last things that they want to tell you is is pretty important stuff. You know, it's pretty important. It's it's you know, they've only got this amount of time left, and they're going to give you. I mean, they they're not going to talk about the weather and Mickey Mouse and all that kind of stuff in their last moments, right? So, Jesus is this is his last. This is the last thing he's going to say to the crowd. And then the rest of the book is going to be the last things he says to his disciples. What I want y'all to know, what I want y'all to be. So it's really important stuff. Uh, in these last verses in chapter 12, we kind of read through them a little bit last week, but they're kind of scary. They're kind of scary from a sense of, you know, uh, believing on him and heaven and hell and those kind of things. It says, I guess we'll start in verse uh, 37. It says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, uh, remember, we, he had just got done saying, walk in the light as you come in the light. He's not answering any more questions. <clears throat> Verse 37 says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe... Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Verse 41, and I'll stop there for a second. It says, these things said Isaiah, Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, we saw that the... The whole purpose of all this that's going on is God's glory, right? Jesus said, you know, my soul is troubled, but what will I say? Uh, God saved me from this hour. He said, no, for this hour I've, I was brought here. And then he says, Father, glorify thy name. Y'all remember that from last week? Where he said, Father, glorify thy name. And then what did the Father do? Heard a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved son. No, that was, he did say that, but in this chapter he said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's right. And so the whole thing we saw last week was that the whole thing was about the glory of, of God. It was about all things being, the purpose of all things is the glory of God. Most of us don't think that way. 
Um, and so it makes these verses we're going to talk about where it says they could not believe because they had been prophesied. God would harden their hearts and God would blind their eyes. And we're going to talk about that. But you need to understand that the whole thing in a nutshell is that God's going to get glory no matter what. When His Word goes forth, you ever heard a preacher say, you probably heard me say it before, or Brother Eddie say it, that uh, the Word won't return void. That's a passage from Isaiah. It'll accomplish what it's set out to do. Um, you say that and you... There's a double meaning to that because really the word goes out and it's either going to save you or it's going to condemn you. One of the two. It's going to, it's going to, you know, you'll stand before God and because that word has gone out and you accepted it, received it, it uh, you know, filled your heart with the, the Holy Spirit and you serve God and, you know, he put that little voice inside you that, you know, leads you and guides you and you have a hunger for the things of God and that's what he does. He transforms people that'll save you and that's the purpose of the word as it goes forth. But there's another purpose of the word and the purpose of the word is to... It's to give you, if you reject it, it'll be that word that condemns you. Jesus is going to say that here at the end of this chapter. He's going to say, my words are going to condemn you. And the reason is, it says, we, you'll stand before him without excuse. You know that verse in Romans 1. And what it'll do is, no one will have a chance to say, you know, I didn't know all this was going on. I didn't know this was the way it is. And, and so that word, if it goes out, just think about it this way. When Brother Eddie's preaching today in the second service, uh, one guy will be sitting there and he'll be eating it up. He'll be like, man, I need this. God is just speaking to me and I'm, you know, I'm in a bad place. I just need, you know, I need whatever. And another guy will be, you know, playing video games on his iPhone or whatever, you know. And so he just don't care. You know, it's whatever. I'll be thinking about Dairy Queen or, you know, what I'm going to eat for lunch or, you know, whatever, whatever. And so the word's going out and it's accomplishing its purpose, no matter what that purpose is. For the one guy, it's bringing him the, the aroma of life. It's bringing him the bread of life. He's feasting on the word. He's enjoying And for the other guy, it's condemning him. It's saying, you had an opportunity. You had a chance. You had a, you had a time when I spoke to you and you didn't listen. And so God is going to get glory in either one of those situations. And that's something that's kind of strange to us. In the one situation when God saves a person, what's glorified in it? His mercy, His grace, what else? His love, his, all those things are glorified. But when a person rejects the gospel and God sentences, sentences them, sentences, condemns them, what's glorified? His judgment. His judgment, His justice, righteousness, holiness. And God's going to be glorified in all of His attributes. And so that's what we see here. We're going to see that He's going to accomplish His purpose. So in verse 37, 38, these people saw the miracles. What miracle led them out of the city? The raising of Lazarus. That's right. So they saw that there's no doubt that this guy's from God. Okay? Nobody can raise the dead. You know, you might can play a little trick on folks and pretend to be a healer and all that kind of stuff, but this dude's been dead for four days, and there's no doubt he's dead, and here comes Jesus and raises him from the dead. They know that it's God. They know that God is working in the midst. Uh, why does the text say they didn't believe? Verse 37 and 38 says, yet they believed not on him, 37, and then 38 tells us why. Why did they not believe? 
Because the prophecy was fulfilled. Because the prophecy was fulfilled. Now, think about this. What if they what if they would have believed? What do you think would have happened? Huh? Jesus might yeah, wouldn't have went to the cross. And then what? We'd still be in our sin. You'd still be in your sin. You'd still be in sin. So when you think about it, and it says they could not believe because of the problem, you're thinking, you know, that's not fair. That's not how could how could that happen? But the reality is God was working everything for his good purpose. And they had the opportunity to believe on Christ for the three years. That Christ, I mean, Christ had been in the temple. He had been preaching. He, they had seen he the miracles. He, yeah, for three years they had, what are we going to do with this guy? He's leading people away. And they've heard his message. They heard his, they heard all those things. And each time they had opportunity. Just like you have opportunity today or the people in there have opportunity. Each time they had an opportunity. And each time they chose their own you know, my own position. I don't want to give up my position. I don't want to give up my righteousness. I don't want to give up my goodness. I don't want to have to follow some carpenter from Galilee. I don't want to do that. Well, now there's come to a point where, okay, Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he's going to go to the cross because you guys' hearts are hardened. And your eyes are blind. And your ears won't hear anymore. So it's not like these guys were going like... Oh, I wish I could just believe in Jesus, but I can't, you know, because my heart's, you know, they didn't want to believe in Jesus. It was their, you know, they didn't want Jesus. They didn't want the sacrifice. They didn't want those things because their hearts were hardened. It says they could not believe. No, no, we're not there yet. It says, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah, might, the prophet might be filled, which the Lord spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah says, says again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Do you think God, does that make him a, does that make him a mean God if he blinds people's eyes and hardens people's hearts? No, that's their choice. It's their choice, but it says they could not believe at this point. Well, the prophecy had to be fulfilled. Okay. But it also said that um, the heart of God would always draw with man either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Does it, does it, what do you think about, there's a time, and I don't know when that time is, and it's probably different for everybody, and I don't know. But there's a time after you've heard the gospel so many times, and you know, maybe you've you know accepted the fact that there was really a Jesus, and He really did die on the cross, and He really did rise from the dead. You probably accept all that. You know, maybe that's you understand that that's true. But as far as giving my life to this Jesus and following Him and and allowing Him to dictate what I do and what I don't do and what I you know I, I'm not in for all that. Really, there comes a time when. Uh, God won't draw you anymore. It's possible. What do you think that's fair? Well, he doesn't owe us anything. Yeah, he doesn't owe you anything. But what anybody else y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? He draws you by his Holy Spirit, you reject him. Does he owe you another opportunity? Uh-uh. No. No. Now, does he give you an, another opportunity in a lot of instances? He gave me a bunch of opportunities. Definitely. So he's good and gracious. He gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But he doesn't owe us anything. I mean, he doesn't owe us anything at all. Think about it this way. 
The same way we fell, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. You know the story. They fell and sin came into the world. The same way that that happened, the Bible says that it also happened with the angels. You know, Satan led the angels and God threw them out of heaven. And you know, you know the, whole, the whole deal about how now we have fallen angels and all that kind of thing. Did you know that God never, not one time, offers them an opportunity for redemption? When they fell, when they were thrown out, they had, that was it. There's no gospel for them. There's no opportunity for them. There's no, there's no calling that, you know, please come back and repent and I will, nothing. They have no, they are the way they are forever. And it's just a miracle that God would offer us a gospel, that he would offer his son, that he would love us so much that, uh, that, and so he doesn't owe us anything. So the, the passage that he's quoting is Isaiah 53, 1. Some, one of y'all Bible uh, drill folks, look up Isaiah 53.1. And read 1 through 3. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, let me read this first. It says, they believed not on him, in verse 38, so that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he said, Lord, who hath believed our report, and who hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That doesn't even compute. Like, he, they believe not, so this prophecy will be fulfilled. So read the whole thing and let's get the context. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 said, Lord, who has believed our report? You're who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the, law, of the Lord revealed? <clears throat> For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, then, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Okay, do you hear the prophecy there? That's what Isaiah's talking about. He says, <coughs> this is what John's talking about. So this prophecy would be fulfilled. He was a man of no, there was no beauty about him that you would say, oh wow, you know, we need to follow this guy. He's really pretty, you know, or really handsome or whatever. You know, there, he was just a regular looking man. There was no uh, wonderful, charismatic, you know, he was not some, you know, uh, great personality that you want to follow and and he was just a meek and lowly lowly guy he says they esteemed him not they rejected him he was despised and rejected of men and that was a prophecy you know i don't know how many hundreds of years but it was at least it had to have been at least five or six hundred years between isaiah maybe seven hundred years isaiah prophesied to when they actually rejected and so here is the final rejection this is the final rejection that they're gonna they're going to do, and from this point, from John chapter twelve, God doesn't, Jesus does not come to them publicly anymore, and say, "Hey, come to me." You know, all those times we read those, "Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come drink from me, and I have living water." And I'll. This is the end right here. After this, there won't be any more. And so he's out there talking, and they. They, the verses that Miss Judy read, you heard it says he was lowly, he was he was meek, he was there was nothing beautiful about him. There was you know not he was despised, he was rejected. They wanted what kind of king? They wanted what kind of Messiah? Messiah. 
They wanted a powerful, political, come conquer, kick butt and take names kind of Messiah. That's not who Jesus was. And so then we get to 39 where it says, And they could not believe. Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes. Who is the He? God. God. Yeah. Let's read Isaiah chapter 6. Let me, let me turn and read it. So I don't know exactly how many verses I want to read. This is the prophecy that he saw. This is what he told Isaiah. It says, in the year, chapter 6, verse 1, you know the story. It says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it's, a, it's Isaiah seeing the Lord. And, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone because of his sin. And the seraphims are flying around going, holy, holy, holy. Uh, he laid a coal upon his mouth and it burnt and his sin was purged. And uh, he says, verse 8 says, Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah, he says, I said, Here am I, send me. Y'all have heard that before, right? Yes. So God is sending Isaiah to preach to the people. But look at what else God says in verse 10. It says, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. This is what the Word is going to do when Isaiah goes and preaches it. He says, make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And he says, then he, then he said, I said to the Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utter desolate. So he's basically telling Isaiah, who am I going to send to go and preach to these people? And Isaiah says, send me. And he says, okay, you go and preach. And what's going to happen when they hear your word is that their hearts are going to get hard, their ears are going to get heavy, and their eyes are going to be blinded. And the fulfillment of that is going to be right here where he says they could not believe because verse 40 in John chapter 12 says he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Okay. Now, at this point, could they have chosen to believe? I don't think so. Okay. He hardened their hearts. He hardened their hearts. He hardened their eyes and he shut their ears. Okay. I, I think so too. What about anybody else? Any other thoughts? But don't you think they hardened all of their hearts? No, no, just these just it's not it's not even just the Jews, it's these Pharisees here that are that he's talking about. These these people here that he's talking about were the were the ones who were opposing it. You know, and, and so what's going on in the context is he's riding into Jerusalem and all these people are going, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord and every palm leaves and all this stuff. And the Pharisees come up and say, look, we're, we're messed up, man. Everybody's going after him. And then Jesus starts explaining to, these, to them about how I'm going to die. I'm not coming to take over the city. I'm not coming to do the Romans. I'm not coming to, I'm not coming to be this king y'all are wanting. I'm coming to be the king that God sent me to be. And so, yeah, voice over on. <laughs> and so, at this point, the, what I want you to see is, what I want you to see is, it's kind of scary to think about the fact that God could harden somebody's heart where they wouldn't believe. Uh, but this doesn't come in like a vacuum. It doesn't come where just one day the gospel comes and God says, well, you're not going to believe 
They don't want to believe. That's not God's not forcing them against their will to do anything. They don't want to believe. And they have had an opportunity for three years. They have heard Jesus preach. They've heard Him teach. Their hearts were pliable. They were able to believe. They were able to confess Him. They, they wanted, you know, they, they wanted their own stuff. For all this time, the gospel has come to them and they've rejected it. And now it comes to this point where you've just rejected it so many times, it's like you're numb. You're numb to the gospel. You think that still happens today? Yes, but it also happened in Exodus with Pharaoh whenever, you know, God showed up and Moses would present a plague. It, you know, in Exodus it was said, and God hardened his heart. And where that come from is that Pharaoh, even after seeing God's work, said, well, I can still outdo that. Right. And, I mean, and, that, Pharaoh, that's, and that's really where I think that the Pharisees were, is that no matter what they heard Jesus preach or what they saw him do, his heart was hard. They still thought, well, we're better than him. Right. And if you look at the example of Pharaoh, I think it's something like 14 times says his heart was hardened. hardened. Yeah. Seven of them, he hardened his own heart. Yeah. And seven of them, God hardened his heart. You see, so it's an interplay there. If, if God has hardened their hearts, does that mean that they're not responsible for their unbelief? No. No, it's not. That doesn't mean that at all. They don't want to believe. They've chosen. They've chosen not to believe. That's what I want you. Now, here's the other side. Can you look at somebody? I have people in my family. You have people in yours. You have friends. You have all, and you've brought the gospel to them over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and they've rejected it over and over and over and over and over. Can you look at that person and say, "Well, they're just hardened. They're never going to believe." No, it's we, we it's not our place. We don't know what God does. A man can reject the gospel for 80 years, and then at 85, God come to him, and then all of a sudden, the light comes on. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't say, well, that guy's just hard. that is something that goes on in God's realm, and we have we're to preach the gospel to every creature at every time in every if you've got an uncle or a granddaddy or somebody that's heard the gospel for 85 years and you're just not getting nowhere you still preach the gospel to them because at any time God can open that heart, God can open that mind and and bang, there it is okay? then where does the scripture that we should dust our feet come from in that case then? Well, dust in your feet is when people, uh, that's when Jesus sent the people out. And what that means is when you've dusted your feet off, uh, the context is for a Jewish person, Israel was it. And all the Gentile lands were unclean. And so when you would travel to a Gentile land, when you come back to Israel, you would get all that unclean dirt off your feet before you entered into the. And so what he was saying was when the person, when you go into a house, is what Jesus was saying to his disciples. When you go into a house and they reject you, he says, you dust the feet, dust your feet off and you go on to the next house. It doesn't necessarily mean doesn't necessarily mean that you go one time to Jimmy and then you don't ever go back again. But what it's saying is I don't I don't spend my life at Jimmy's feet going please 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 please. I go to the next guy and I go to the next guy and I go to the next guy. 
You know, and I can come back and say, at, at this time, the disciples, when they were sent out on a mission, they would come into the house. They'd stay in the house. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if God said, you ain't staying here, then okay, you just dust your feet off and go on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily talking about coming and witnessing, hey, can I talk to you for a second? You know, it's not necessarily talking about that. It's talking about they were staying with them, you know. And so it's saying don't spend your whole life. In pursuit of one person. In pursuit of one that's just, you know, you you bring the gospel to them as often and as many times as you're able. You know, but there comes a time when, you know, you just have to let God have it. And there's times when, I don't know about y'all, but in my family, they won't listen to me at all. They'd be, they'd be more, maybe more apt to listen to one of y'all than, than me. Because, you know, after you said it ten times, you know, there's nothing left to say. And God maybe used you to plant a seed, or maybe water a seed or whatever. And then that's one of the things that, that's one of the things like, it, it seems like God's always putting Brother Eddie at the picking point. You know, of a person. Does that make sense? You know, and like you're, it's just like, that's just his calling. That's just where I mean. And so you never know. Somebody, you know, a grandma might have told them way back when, and then Sunday school teacher, whatever, and then you know they've heard it somewhere, they saw it somewhere, and then somebody will come along, and God has moved them all the way to this point, and then bang, there it is. You know, here it is, the gospel. I've heard you tell the story where you have you have just absolutely brought the gospel to the point where you're just like please take him and then brother Eddie come in behind you and be like Jesus loves you and they're like all the same yeah boy that happens all the time that happens all the time what does it mean Jason about casting your pearls before swine uh don't cast your pearls before swine don't don't uh give your the table scraps to the dogs um when it's when it's talking about that, it's talking about. That's a good question too, by the way. I'm having to think on my feet. Uh, when it's talking about casting your pearls before swine, uh, the first context is going to be Jew Gentile at that point. At that point, but for us, the application is that you, uh, if you spend your time, if you spend your time giving God's word to an unregenerate person. What you're doing is, um, see, I don't want to say that either. If you spend your time giving God's word to an unregenerate person, they're not going to understand it until they're regenerate. So you're you're giving to give a valuable to a pig is like they don't really know it's valuable. You know what I mean? They, like for for a pig, a cob of corn is more valuable than a pearl. You know, really. You know, because they're going to eat. The California. So when you spend, if you spend your all your time, your life given, I I think of it like trying to disciple unregenerate people. Does that make sense? Like if I'm gonna teach you how to live and how to act like a Christian and be a whatever, and you're unregenerate, what I'm doing is just, you know, if, if I was in a bunch of guys that I'm I'm peeing in the wind, you know, it's really I ain't, I ain't doing nothing. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, my, my, my mom's gonna love that. Uh, but uh, 
It takes the Spirit of God to regenerate a man so that he understands. Now think about it. When you were well, Before you were saved, none of this stuff was really valuable to you, was it? I mean, truly. I mean, some of it was if it helped you. Like, you know, you would probably claim a promise if it helped you out. But as far as serving God and all this thou shalt do that, I'm not in on that mess. And so there's a time, I won't say there's not a time, there is a time when you just have to, God, I've done all I can do with this person, I just got to move on, you know. And God will bring you back if, if it's His will, He'll give you more opportunities if you're will. So I'm not saying that there isn't that time when you say, you know, I've just done everything I know to do. And so it, it, it's in your hands and you, you move on. There's a whole lost world full of people out there. That makes sense. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Where was I at? Forty. Forty. Yes. The thing I want. Yes. The thing I want you to see is, we see here. It says in thirty nine and forty, they could not believe because their God blinded their eyes. But this is after. The whole ministry and teaching. They knew God's words after. So this didn't come all of a sudden where the first time they heard the gospel, they were like, you know, their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard because the gospel had come over and 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 over again. You know that story Brother Eddie tells about the stump where it burns over the stump and it burns over the stump again. And after a while, the stump won't burn anymore because it's all charred on the outside. It's, that's what has, has happened. And so their hearts are hard. And so this, they have come to a point, like Romans 1 says, where God said in Romans 1, Paul told them, he said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and so God gave them over to what they wanted. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That God would give you over. It, three times in Romans 1, it said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and so God gave them over to what they wanted. They uh, worshiped the creature instead of the creator, so God gave them up to what they wanted. Three times in Romans 1, it says that. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Yes. Not that, and the person who has been given over, uh, I can't point to one and say, here's one, because I don't know who is and who isn't. But the person that's given over to a reprobate mind is what it says in Romans 1. That person is not a person who is sitting there going, oh, I wish God would accept me. And God's going, nope, nope, not good. That's, that's not what he's talking about. The person who's given over to a reprobate mind doesn't want God. And that's the reprobate mind. I don't want your God. I don't want nothing you got to do with it. And they just won't ever change. Won't and ever I change their mind. You, I did at that point just dust my feet off and move on. Yeah. Well, after they start cussing me, I usually say, well, okay, I'm done. She didn't cuss me, but she's not somebody I care to be around anymore. Right. Oh, I understand it. I understand it. But I don't want you to think there is no such thing as a person who says, God, I'm calling out to you. And God going, nope. Huh, sorry. Yeah, that, that is, there's no such thing as that. The person who's been given over to a reprobate mind, who's been given over, whose heart is hard, they don't want God. Okay? So I want to make sure you understand that. They don't want God. It's not as if they want him and he just won't listen to them or whatever, or, you know, they don't want him. And so many people come to me often and they ask about the unpardonable sin, you know, that, that there is one sin that will never be forgiven, the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And they ask about, you know, has God given up on them, whatever. And most of the time I can tell them if you're worried about it, 
oh no, I've committed the unpardonable sin, then that's pretty good evidence that you haven't. Because God, the people that have committed this unpardonable, they don't care. You know what I mean? They don't care. And that's the judgment. God turns them over to what they want. And so they don't care about God. They don't care about the gospel. They don't care about the word. They don't care about church. They don't care about none of the God's people. I just don't care. That's the person that's been turned over. So if you're a person who does care and has a yearning, the Holy Spirit's in you, so yearning to serve God and learn about God and worship God and love God, that is evidence that... You know, that you've been regenerated, that you're not, you know, if a person comes to me and they're like, I'm just so afraid that I've committed this and that God won't listen to me. Well, if you're worried about it, then you haven't committed it because the people that have, they don't care. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Just want to make sure we cleared that up. Okay. Now we have another group. And I've, man, I took too long with that too. We got about 10 minutes left. We got another group in 42 that said, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. There were some that did believe on him. But it's not a real faith. It says, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And this is why I say it's not a real faith. 443 says, For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Okay? Remember that we talked about the glory of God last week and all that's going on with Jesus wanting to glorify the Father and the Father wanting to glorify His name. And these people here, they believed on Him. And way back at the beginning of John, when we started, remember I told you about the tenses He uses? He uses a present tense all the time when He talks about saving faith. And he uses what's called an aorist tense. I know you don't mean them, but that's what it's called. And this is what this is when he's talking about just believing facts and not true saving faith. Well, here it is right here. So these people, they believe that, hey, you know, they're, they're watching Jesus ride in on a donkey. And they're seeing all these people with branches and they're seeing all this go on and they're hearing them holler Hosanna and they know that he's raised Lazarus from the dead and they, they just know all these things and they're thinking this guy really is the Messiah. I mean this is him. But they're not willing to follow him. They're not willing to confess him. They're not willing to serve him. They're not willing to go to him and say you are the Lord, you are the King, you are my Messiah. They know in their mind this is this is him. But they won't confess it. You know anybody like that? Are there people still like that? I was going to say, that's what we see more of anything other than just people either blatantly accepting him or blatantly reject him. They get caught up more in the emotion of a church. And it's really good to them until they walk out those doors. Yeah. Well, here in the Bible, Bill, it's pretty much a given that 90% of the doors you knock on, they're going to say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I mean, if you go up north... You know, it's different, you know, because a lot of people don't. We had a guy in the men's breakfast at Thursday said he was from Iowa or somewhere, you know, and he was like, you can't, you say praise the Lord in public up there. They look at you like, what are you talking about? That's a crazy guy here. And so here we see this all the time. I believe there was a Jesus. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he was the son of God. But this whole deal about serving him and following him and I'm not a fanatic, you know. I mean, that's the deal. I'm not. I'm not religious nut, but I believe there's a God and I believe in Jesus. They they aren't willing to confess him. You know, at, at work, 
They don't want to say nothing about Jesus because, you know, my workers will think I'm crazy or something. You know, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing people who actually believe the facts about who Jesus was and what he did. But they're not going to come to him and submit to him. Does that make sense? They believe the facts but not the faith. Right. They have no trust in him. Same way I've said it a million times. Satan. You know, Satan is a real being. He knows that there is a, there is a Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows that Jesus died on the cross. And he knows that Jesus rose again. So by modern Christian standards, Satan could probably join most churches. <laughs> if he would just come and confess those those things. Yes, I believe in Jesus and I believe he rose again. And what I mean, as far as what we define a Christian to be, uh, if it's just about what you know is true, then Satan himself is a Christian. But what will he not do? He'll not submit his life to Christ. He'll not. He'll not serve Christ. He'll not do. He'll not give his heart to Christ. He'll not do any of those things. So this other group, they didn't confess him. Why do you think they didn't confess him? Or why does it say they didn't confess him? Because they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. They're right, and they did not want what to be thrown out of the synagogue. To get thrown out, they wanted their religious personal authority. So, today, we still see it like this. Now, hurrying up, let me just read these last verses and then we'll be done. Remember, it says, right before we started, right before we ended last week, in verse 36. No. Yes, 36. It says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may be children of the light. These things spoke Jesus and he departed and he did hide himself from them. And that was it. Well, here in verse 44, it said, And Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me. But do you think it's strange that he departed and hid himself, but then here all of a sudden it says he cried? There's no context given. It doesn't say Jesus reappeared or in another place on another day. It just said Jesus cried. This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. It's the end. John is broken up into two halves. Chapters 1 through 12 and chapters 13 through the end of the book. And this is the end of Jesus' ministry, his public ministry. His, his, and we're going to start his you know, dialogue with the disciples the last week of his life in chapter 13. So I take verse 44 through 50 as a summary of all of Jesus' Sayings of all Jesus' ministry, of what the gospel is that he came for. So Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me, believe not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That doesn't mean there isn't a judge, because it says, verse 48 says, He that rejecteth me and receive not my words, hath one that judges him. Who's going to judge him? God. The, yes, God. But it says, the word that I have spoken. The same self shall judge him in the last day. Why will it judge him? For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say. He told me what to say and what I should speak. And the last verse says, And I know that this his commandment is everlasting life. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so there I speak. I told you everything that the Father told me to tell you. 
whosoever believes on me won't walk in darkness anymore. They'll walk in light. And I want you to see that these words that he's speaking here apply to the crowd that day. They apply to the knights in medieval England. And they apply to the people in Brownsville today. It says, if any man hear my words and believe not. He says, I won't judge him because I didn't come to the world to judge, but to save him. But if he rejects me, it says, and doesn't receive my words. He said, he does have one that judges him. He says, the word that I've spoken. Remember at the beginning when I said the word will go out and it'll either save you or it'll judge you. At the end, when you stand before the Father, Christ's word. You remember what I said? Believe on me and you'll have eternal life. Uh, That will either save you you trust in that promise or it'll condemn you because I've rejected that promise. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay, any questions? This is the end of his public ministry. So next week when we start in chapter 13, we're going to focus on the last hours of his life. Chapter 13 through the end of the book is the last couple of days of Jesus' life where he's talking to the disciples, where Judas betrays him, where he goes through the trials, those things. So we're about to we're about to embark into the last words that Jesus ever spoke on this earth. The last moments of teaching, the last hours of uh, time he spent with his disciples. And so they're very, very important. It's like Jesus sitting around and saying, look, I'm going to die tomorrow. Here's what I want you to know before I go. And so they're very important, important words. So we'll start that next week. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you do and all that you have done and are doing in us, Lord.